0: Hello, it's Thursday the 7th of December, I'm Alex von Tanzelman and it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. <laughs> Welcome back to Papercuts, the modern newspaper review. Every weekday we stage a blockbuster world tour of Britain's press for packed stadiums of our adoring fans. You never knew you needed to see The Guardian slink onto the stage in an asymmetrical cat suit. Just wait till the seventh act, when The Times will be rocking a cottagecore aesthetic. Meanwhile, The Daily Star has made itself a tiny-scale model of Stonehenge and is dancing around it dressed as a leprechaun. Why does it always do this? We're out five days a week for your listening joy. Why not help us out by joining the PaperCut Supporters Club? Just visit back.papercutshow.com. That's B-A-C-K B-A-C-K.papercutshow, dot two S's in the middle there, dot com, to find out how. There's a link in the show notes. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Last whimper for Operation Save Big Dog. Boris Johnson gives evidence at the COVID inquiry. It must be a day ending in Y. Yet another Tory crisis as Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick resigns because the Rwanda policy isn't horrible (laughs) enough. And so it's going to be forever or it's going to go down in flames. Taylor Swift is Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we never go out of style. We never go out of style. I'm Alex von Tunzelman, and joining me on the show, Dancing in your Levi's, Drunk Under a Streetlight, is journalist John Ellidge. Hi, John.
2: I would like everyone to know I don't get any of these references. <laughs> not one.
0: Oh, they're not references. <laughs> And there goes the loudest woman this town has ever seen. It's comedian Gronya Maguire. Hi, Gronya.
1: Hi, I'm a nightmare dressed as a daydream.
0: (laughs) So what's on the front pages today? Gronya, what have you got for us?
1: Um, Well, we've got the Daily Mail and just the headline is incredible because it's less sort of like a news story, more just like a panicked voice note that somehow made it. It's just so mad. It's like, instead of subtext, it's just text. So the Daily Mail went with, with, Will the Tories ever, in caps, give up fighting each other and start fighting Labour? Yeah. <laughs> <How> <laughs> <am David? not. laughs> That's just they've just they've run out of patience. The Daily Mirror have gone with Johnson in the dock. The dead can't hear your apologies. Oof. Fury as bungling XPM says sorry to COVID victims' families for their pain. The Daily Star, also covering the COVID inquiry. Pinocchio on the stand, a picture of Boris Johnson with a very long protruding nose. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Pinocchio PM Bozo Johnson has admitted he should have twigged a bit sooner how serious COVID was going to be. Where's the sudden... Also are covering a huge big story that I think a lot of the other newspapers, maybe they went to print before this came out. Exclusive. It's Toph Love. Queen of Mean dates Queen's ex. And that's the bombshell story that I think a lot of people are just hearing about on Twitter this morning. TV Anne with Camilla's first husband.
2: What? What? That's that's the rest of the show, I assume. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, we won't be talking about anything else today. Um, Sorry to...
2: It, It is fascinating, isn't it? The way the sun is just like, you know... Do not look at the Tory meltdown behind the curtain, <laughs> <laughs> just completely ignoring this. It's amazing.
0: I mean, literally somebody mm. dating somebody on the front page. Mm. That's that's where we're going. Mm. I mean, I'm afraid if we can tear ourselves away <laughs> from Anne Robinson dating Andrew Parker Bowles, I mean, you know, for the boring, boring broadsheets. John, what have we got this morning?
2: So I've got four papers that are leading on the same uh, duo of stories, but taking quite different lines. So first off, the I, Jemric quits as Sunak takes on Tory right over migration. The Times' take on that is, Rwanda Bill is doomed, says Jemrick, as he quits. The Telegraph, picture of Suella, uh, Suella Braverman rather than Robert Jemrick. Immigration minister quits, as PM warned of electoral oblivion. And then The Guardian has gone with Tories in turmoil as immigration minister quits over Rwanda Bill. Underneath that, The Guardian has deluded. Johnson condemned as he denies major COVID mistake. The Eyes version is Johnson, sorry, but not sorry. Lots of lovely pictures of Boris Johnson looking sorry, but not that sorry there. <laughs> <laughs> um, on The Times, Johnson is sorry for the utter disaster of COVID. And there's a picture of him looking a bit sorry. A, bit a bit sorry. Ruffling <laughs> his hair. He, he definitely looks like a man who's trying to look sorry. <laughs> yes. Let's go with that. Uh, but the interesting take, I think, is The Telegraph. Johnson chokes with emotion Ugh. as he recounts COVID tragedies.
0: Which emotion? <laughs>
2: I mean, it is wanting to get out of trouble technically an emotion. Yeah. <laughs> Self-interest, is yeah. that an emotion?
0: So, I mean, Boris Johnson is on, as you say, most of the front pages, say tabloids as well, but he's still talking today, he's going to be still going, so I'm sure we'll discuss it at more length tomorrow. But let's have a quick round-up of his highlights and lowlights. John, what's uh, what's gone on?
2: So, I think the first key highlight was he arrived before dawn, so that protesters couldn't get to him.
0: Yeah, first time he's ever been early for anything.
2: Uh, yeah. No,
1: in his defence, I think he's left a lot of houses really early in the morning because <laughs> he wants to <laughs> avoid beating certain people. So uh, he's got experience. Think why. It's
2: much cleaner than the version of that joke I was going to <laughs> Um So he, be- he began with an apology for the pain and loss and suffering caused by the pandemic. He acknowledged that unquestionably his government may have made mistakes. <laughs> mistakes in- were made. Interesting use of the conditional tense there. But he uh, he says he accepts personal responsibility for all decisions, but he won't be withdrawn on which decisions were wrong or which mistakes he's taking responsibility for, which is interesting. It's a bit of a mixed bag, actually. Like, I think some of his points were not entirely unreasonable. Like when he said like it was not obvious in early March... 2020, that like lockdown was the, the only option and was cost free. I think that's actually reasonable. I think it's easy to forget that lockdown is quite a big deal. Mm. He said that the excess death statistics, which Hugo Keith Casey pointed out, that the UK had the second worst excess deaths in Europe after Italy. Mm. Uh, Johnson said, well, that does depend on how you take into account things like population age, existing morbidities, population density. That all seems reasonable, like he's wriggling, but like there's probably the grain of a point there. He was to say he didn't read all the sage memos himself. He relied on his chief scientific advisors to summarise them. Again, I think, you know, if you're prime minister, you're probably quite busy. That doesn't feel like the worst thing. But there was some stuff I'm I'm less sold on, I have to say. The message that came out in which he complained the lockdown would mean destroying everything for people who will die soon anyway. Bed blockers.
0: Oh, I mean, he, that's a bit nasty.
2: Yeah, he said that showed the cruelty of the choice we faced as opposed did to it. the cruelty of the Prime Minister who was in charge. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: There was also like 5,000 WhatsApps have come mysteriously missing in a sort of very Rebecca Vardy kind of way. Um, <laughs> Keith did point out that, you know, there was a technical report from from uh, the former Tory leader's solicitors, which suggested there may have been a factory reset attempt at the end of January 2020, followed by an attempt to reinstate the contents in June. Johnson denied knowing anything about any of this.
0: I so, mean, people are always factory resetting my phone without my knowledge.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It happens all the time. It's happened to me twice this morning, actually. <laughs> so.
1: Well my pet he's, I cannot bear it when people like Boris Johnson think it's really cute that the rubbish of tech like oh what's this what's this it's like you're a grown man you're the Prime Minister like poor Hillary Clinton didn't get to be president because she was bad with her emails like that is something <laughs> that you should be on top of it you like it's 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 so smug it's like oh no what is this tech thing I just spent all my evenings reading Latin and smoking a pipe in my library this is so beneath me
0: don't think that's how he spent all his
1: evenings <laughs> but it's that whole smug, I'm a buffling, you know, uh, thinking of greater things rather than uh, all these sort of boring tech stuff that all us mere mortals have to worry about.
2: In some ways, I think this is, it, it, it feels like a bit of a damp squib in some ways. Like his reputation is already so at rock bottom, it is difficult to know what could come out here that would, would actually have any impact because everyone's already made their mind up, everyone already hates him.
1: I think sorry, maybe if he burst into song That's the only <laughs> thing I can think
2: of. If he ends
1: up a really sad like um eleven o'clock Broadway number. Yeah. I think maybe that might I think that would win me over to him a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well you heard the tip, Boris. Get
0: on it. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak probably hoped that we'd all be applauding his strength today as a new draft bill to send refugees to Rwanda was introduced in Parliament. Instead, that bill was immediately both overshadowed and undermined by the resignation of Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick, declaring that he didn't think the bill would work. John, what's Jenrick's problem?
2: So, Jemric has, uh, he wrote a le- in his resignation letter to the Prime Minister, he congratulated Sunak on his wisdom in having moved towards his position, Jemric's uh, <laughs> position. <laughs> Nevertheless, I am unable to take the currently proposed legislation through the Commons, as I do not believe it provides us with the best possible chance of success. Uh, he described the bill as a triumph of hope over experience. I mean, like it's, his problem is sort of that like he doesn't think it's going to work, but let's be honest, his problem is actually... That he thinks the Tories are going to lose (laughs) (laughs) and he doesn't want to be standing too close to his former very close political ally, Rishi Sunak, when that happens. Like there was a trio of them, um, Sunak, Jemric and the third was Oliver Dowden, who wrote a joint op-ed in The Times in, when was it, 2019, calling on Boris, Mm. saying that Boris Johnson is the solution. Um, so were like so
0: political savants we're talking yeah, about. Yeah,
2: but like they, were, they were seen as kind of like, these were the rising guys in the next generation. They're the free amigos, they're the free musketeers. Uh, so like the fact that like Jemric, who is, by all accounts, a slimy little man, has, has, <laughs> has turned on all the stories you hear. Uh, has, I'm
1: sorry, you can just have it by all accounts. <laughs> it's like, it's just facts.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but he's, 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 he's basically turned on the Prime Minister because he, he's trying to position himself for right after. Election. This is a rat leaving a sinking ship is what is happening here. The Rwanda bill is not going to happen. As far as I can tell, because like the random government has said, well, we we couldn't possibly do this if it's considered in breach of international law, but (laughs) the government cannot pass the bill without getting rid of its international law obligations. It just doesn't feel like there's a solution here. And Jenrick doesn't want to be the person held responsible for the lack of a solution.
0: Groni, can you tell us a bit about Jenrick, a bit about we've got the BBC did a little profile on his background?
1: What's fascinating about Robert Jenrick for me is as one gets older, people in parliament are the same age as you. <laughs> it's really you, horrifying. It's just like, no, no, it's supposed to be grown-ups. <laughs> not, not my generation, what? We are the
2: grown-ups, that's what's so terrifying. So
1: like, Panic! Oh, there was a real sobering moment where I was like, the president of France would be in my like guardian soulmate's dating age range. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's dating someone much older.
2: I have to say, for a married woman, you spend a lot of this podcast talking about your dating life. <laughs> I
1: know. Listen, a gal has got to have a hobby. <laughs> a gal has got to have a hobby. So this uh, little toad, uh, Robert Jenrick, <laughs> he's forty-one. This is I thought. Our, I thought like the evil people were the older people. So when it's people around the same age as you, it's very, uh, very grim. Um, so he was the immigration minister who was pushing a harder line. He's most famous for. I mean, imagine this is your legacy, painting over a mural of Disney characters at a child asylum centre because he was concerned it made the experience too welcoming and reassuring for children seeking asylum. (laughs) That
2: is why they're getting on the small boats. It's like a rumour has gone round <laughs> <laughs> that it, that if you get to the UK, you will get to see some bad pictures of Disney characters. Yeah, yeah. They're not just on ice cream vans anymore. You can also <laughs> see them on the walls of asylum centres. So that, that had to be stopped.
0: Clearly, somebody felt that it was very unfair that someone else was getting more attention for being horrible about refugees than her. So up popped twice-sacked wicked witch Suella Braverman. What did she have to say for herself, John?
2: So she, uh, she's she been all over the place. There was a statement in Parliament yesterday about how, how disembodied pointed she is that the government is not delivering on its promise to be horrible to all foreigners the Guardian has reported that uh, she said that the Tory party faces electoral oblivion in a matter of months unless ministers block all human rights obligations <laughs> um,
0: stop directing me with a good
2: time Suella it is important to remember here that when she says that the Tory party faces electoral oblivion she is under the impression that this is a bad thing yeah really <laughs> she does not believe that this this is the sunlit uplands we were all waiting for um But, yeah, she's basically like, as with Jemrick, she is trying to position herself as kind of like the leader of the the potential leader from the Tory right for after the election. Uh, She also went on the Today programme this morning to talk about it more, where it doesn't sound like she had that much fun, actually, because uh, Nick Robinson interviewing her uh, described her as a headline grabber who spreads who's spreading poison about her own party. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, and she replied, she said, he, uh, Robinson said, when you're on the radio and the television, Stella Bravman, you talk about substance, you talk quite reasonably. When I ask you questions about tough language, you sort of laugh at me as if I'm the one talking about the conservative death wish. But you've um, you've condemned the leader of your party as uncertain, weak and lacking in leadership. You said he never had the intention of keeping his promises. You'll notice this question is going on for quite a long time. Mm, yes. She is not getting a word in edgeways here. This is brilliant. You've accused him of betrayal and wishful thinking. You've attacked lawyers, judges, civil servants, the head of the Metropolitan Police, People are worried about deaths in Gaza. You've attacked the homeless. You've attacked migrants as being part of an invasion. Isn't the truth you're a headline grabber who does it by spreading poison even within your own party? Of course. That is one hell of a question, isn't it? (laughs) I'll take the second part of your question first. uh, Her response was, uh, the truth is that when I served as Home Secretary, I sought to be honest... I think it's worth remembering, like as you said in your introduction, this is a woman who is not only an ex Home Secretary; she was fired as Home Secretary twice. Mm. Um, like so, like it is sort of. I understand why there are certain people within the Tory party who are still kind of like presenting her as this sort of, you know, the the great hope of the Tory Right. It is baffling that the rest of the world is kind of colluding in this rather than just thinking of her as this kind of disgraced former minister. She was sacked for breaching the ministerial code. She should not have been allowed back. It was only because Rishi Sunak needed the support of the right to get over the line and become prime minister in the first place. She even held that job a second time. And yet she's still getting these lovely pictures on the front page of The Telegraph. I think
1: it's hilarious she is very much the Jessie Nelson of Little Mix she was kicked out and now all she does is slack off her former the former members of the group that she was in it's listen a lot she's of also
0: making her. friends and influencing people by suggesting that parliament should sit over Christmas to get the Rwanda bill through
2: oh yeah this is this is a brilliant plan isn't it because like, <laughs> if she wants to be Tory leader she needs the support of a lot of her colleagues so how's she going about that she's cancelling Christmas <laughs>
0: Now, today was a fairy tale for Taylor Swift, who made the cover of Time magazine as Person of the Year. This recognition has previously been awarded to Donald Trump, Ayatollah Khamenei, Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler. (laughs) This year is the first time it's been won by a pop star or indeed any figure from the arts for their achievement in that field. Bono from U2 was jointly Time Person of the Year in 2005 with Bill and Melinda Gates for their humanitarian work, not for his songs. Swift featured as part of Time's Person of the Year in 2017 when it was awarded to the Silence Breakers, women who'd pushed forward the Me Too movement against sexual misconduct, alongside Tarana Burke, Ashley Judd and others. Again, not about the music, though it arguably was about facing the music. Gronya <laughs> you're our chief Taylor Swift correspondent yes. here on Paper Cuts.
1: Will she be thrilled? Do you know what? I genuinely don't think she will. I think she'll have like a brief moment of relief. <laughs> and then it'll just the anxiety will start again. Because what I love about Taylor Swift is she seems like so uptight and like anxious and like she's done all the homework and there's nothing... Effortless about Taylor Swift, which makes me like her. So I do not, th- I I don't see her going on like a a three day bender off the back of this. <laughs> she does sing quite a lot about cheap
0: rose, doesn't she? I was really noticing that this morning when I was thinking about quotes.
1: I think maybe that's like her mad once a year treat, but I don't. Yeah, I don't see her doing tequila shots with uh, with Kelsey anytime soon. <laughs> so why has
0: she got this recognition? Because I mean. Look, she writes some great songs, that's fine. But yeah. person of the year is sort of a is a bit of a broader thing than that, isn't it? So what's been her influence beyond just some great songs.
1: I do. I think it's. I think she's fascinating. I think she's really interesting. So we've kind of had the year of alpha femininity. We've had like the Barbie film over the summer. Beyonce also has brought out her documentary tour documentary video. Taylor Swift has brought out hers, obviously as well. And you know she's a very smart woman. So after Scooter Brown, who as all Swifties know, is Taylor's Arch Enemy, But the Masters for her back catalogue. She started re-releasing Taylor's version of her album, so they've been really dominating the charts. Then she brought out her tour documentary, which she brought straight to the cinema herself, rather than going through a producer or a studio. So she's been making really, really smart career moves. Her tour is like the biggest selling tour of all time. And I think there's just something very, we're sort of as a culture, sort of rethinking how we view traditionally feminine um, aspects of culture. So rom-coms are very much back in fashion being reclaimed. The Barbie film. And yeah, I just think it's, she represents sort of a, a shift in the culture of how we view things that are maybe not taken as seriously because they're seen more as traditionally female.
0: And I guess also, you're right, there's a substantial point at least, that she's changing our view of ownership in the music industry yeah. at a time when actually artists are losing a lot of revenue from Spotify, from all of these kind of things, rather than selling physical media and all that. She's actually pushing back against that in quite a big way, isn't
1: she? Yeah, and she's nuts. That's why I kind of <laughs> like her as well. I went to the... So I saw the Taylor tour show with my friend and it was so fascinating because she's got this real, like, alpha girl energy and it's just like um, her tour was I was thinking it was like if you're imagine if you're 14 and people said do whatever you want (laughs) so it's like Taylor but she's running to the woods Taylor but she's like playing on her piano and talking about her breakup Taylor but she's dressed up as a Victorian novelist (laughs) it's Crazy. It's 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 somebody who's never been told no. And there's something very empowering and mad and interesting about it.
0: Now John, I know you're desperate to talk about your great love of Taylor Swift. But who's Taylor Swift?
2: <laughs> I'm only I'm only half kidding. Like the only Taylor Swift song I'm I I could pick out of a lineup is Bad Blood. I'm aware of that one. But it's become such a thing now I'm I'm deliberately avoiding hearing any more Taylor Swift. Also, like, you know, I'm in my forties. Once upon a time, it would have been considered perfectly acceptable to be an early middle age and to just not engage with pop music. (laughs) And now apparently this is the sort of thing that will get you murdered on the internet by a terrifying (laughs) army of girls.
0: Well, you know, let's hope that doesn't happen today. But let's talk more broadly then about Time's Person of the Year. It's, you know, as I say, it's kind of a bit of a Hot mess of candidates is. really, is it? It's not necessarily a great honor.
2: Oh, so the other the other reason I'm a bit hazy on Taylor Swift is the first time I ever came across her name was on a Tumblr called um Adolf Hitler quotes attributed to Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> so that has very much shaped my idea of who she is and what she represents. And I not and now and now she and Adolf do have something else in common because he was Times Person of the Year from nineteen thirty eight. He was. Uh, he came immediately after uh, Chiang Kai shek and Sun Mei Ling in nineteen thirty seven and just before the next few years were Joseph Stalin, Winston Churchill, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and Joseph Stalin again. Yeah. So it's like did the he, double. it is important to remember that like, Taylor uh, Times' Person of the Year is not, like, necessarily the best person this year. It is the most important person this year. So I don't think we can necessarily assume they are saying good things about Taylor Swift. This might actually be an implicit criticism.
0: Could I ask our panel, who would you nominate for your Person of the Year, John?
2: Well, I'm really glad you finally, finally, after God knows how many episodes I've done on this podcast, I finally have an opportunity to talk about Doctor Who. Because, <laughs> because I think the person of the year should be Shuti Gatwa, who becomes the Doctor possibly as soon as Saturday. He's certainly doing the Christmas special. He was also in the Barbie film. He has now gone on the record and, and described himself as queer. And I just think it's fantastic that my favourite stupid sci-fi series has cast a former refugee as the lead. Mm. And I think that's, that's, that's the voice we need right now.
1: He is mom- Marvellous. Gronje? My person of the year, same person I choose every year, Princess Diana. <laughs> <laughs> she was the people's princess. And she's still causing trouble.
0: <laughs> now at Paper Cuts, we're super fans of the artful headline. What do we have in the papers today, John?
2: So uh, The Sun has an exclusive on page three. I really think the word exclusive has been watered down in recent years. (laughs) There was a poll of some kind about which which Premiership football team had the sexiest fans. And a surprising answer, I'm going to be honest, this is not what I would have expected. Luton Town. Right. I I didn't know they were in the Premiership. (laughs) Um, Because they're the ones who like to get to the stadium. You have to go through what looks like a row of suburban houses. They don't... It, it just doesn't have hot vibes, does it? But anyway, they got 12% of the vote. Uh, apparently, uh, the team is known as the Hatters. This is a vital piece of information to mm-hmm. understand the headline. Okay. The headline is, just call us the Hotters.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. I see. Hatters. Okay. But thank you for explaining that. I would have been in the dark. Um, and another? Uh,
2: yes. So, apparently, a triangle-shaped parking bay is up for sale for £100,000. <laughs> uh it's it's in harrods underground car park which is, normally when like ridiculous things like parking spots in central london are for, uh, are so expensive it's often because if you can get planning permission you can make quite a lot of money. So, like, occasionally you see a shed on for a quarter million pounds, and that's why. So you're not buying the the, the shed, you're buying the land. I don't quite understand how this works in an underground car park, but mm. nonetheless, uh, triangular parking space, £100,000. The sun has spotted, this is the ideal spot for uh, the the Trotters' freewheel van from Only Fools and Horses. Uh, so they've gone with, it's a Dell of a bargain, Only <laughs> Fools and Millionaires. <laughs> Which Ooh, I don't think, They didn't
0: quite nail that. Today. I don't know. I think <laughs> they did. another are of a bargain, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're with them. But yeah. then, yeah, then they just dropped the ball there, didn't
2: they? Also, like they've confused two things. It's like, it's only fools and horses. This time next year, Rodney will be millionaires. It's like, you can't yeah. just merge them into one <laughs> phrase. That's not how this works.
0: Honestly, guys, up your game. Okay, Gronio, what have we got in the star?
1: So in the star, they've got the story of a tikka masala fiend, which feels a bit judgmental. <laughs> Derek Strange is proud of a special curry-eating t-shirt. His fiance got sick of washing his stained gear in Edinburgh and came up with the idea of a special designated top. Headline is, curry tea is a right messala. Ah. Oh. Right. <laughs> so, sorry, is this just the same t-shirt he wears? Yeah. And does he's... he not
0: wash it in between curries?
1: I think he does. I think he just has an eating
2: t-shirt. He's got a, I can see the picture from here, he's got a Rabsy Nesbitt vibe,
1: doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. It's a bit grossy. Yeah. <laughs> There's a real snarky kind of mean fact that the journalists have inserted into this story. Let me, let's see if you can guess it. So this is a story of a Thomas the Tank Engine fan who's chuffed to bits after winning one million on the national lottery. Unmarried Neil struck lucky.
0: <laughs> Not for long.
1: <laughs> the headline is,
2: it could be choo-choo. Can I just ask, and I appreciate that I do this as a man who just talked about Doctor Who. Uh, do people identify as Thomas the Tank Engine fans? Is that like a thing? Is that like is that on his dating profile?
0: Might be why he's unmarried.
2: Yeah. I
1: mean, that was the subtext to it. He said, now if I'm not visiting a railway, I'm busy writing and filming my own take on Thomas the Tank Engine storylines.
2: Is he doing slash fix? <laughs> Oh, no. no
0: said the fat controller <laughs>
2: Percy
0: was full of puff
1: <laughs> Let's
0: not go down this You're a
1: Doctor Who fan You should respect each other <laughs> So boffins Buffins, buffins. Oh, Fans of the pod Buffins keen to study couples bunking while high on drugs so this is a story about scientists wanting to study the effects of LSD and mushrooms on intimate moments and the headline is get a shroom oh nice that's pretty good good. yeah that's a good one
0: Now on Paper Cuts, we turn away from hard-edged news analysis about Taylor Swift and to the paper's soft centres, the features sections. And Gronje,
1: you've got something for us in the star. Yeah, when you told me about this story, if you had made me bet. A million pound, what newspaper it would be in, it would not be in the Star. But there we are. Shame on me. Uh, So this is a story about how a real life person might have been the inspiration for Charles Dickens' famous Scrooge character. So there is a man called James Jemmy Wood from Gloucester who racked up 50 million in today's money, but would do anything to avoid spending money. So, apparently, uh, one specific example of his meanness with money is he was travelling back from Tewkesbury, but he was too miserly to pay for a carriage, so he decided to walk. Then a hearse stopped and asked him if he wanted to lift, and he climbed in the back with a coffin. And this is sort of seen Ooh. as an example of what a little skinflint he was. And when he died in 1836... People lined up in the streets to boo at the coffin. Right,
0: so that didn't go too well. And so Dickens didn't actually meet him but knew about his reputation.
1: He knew him by reputation and that makes um, people sort of suspect that he might have been the inspiration for the famous Christmas character. So,
0: leaning off the Scrooge thing, John, on cue the Guardian has given us a Scroogey list of how to spend less at Christmas.
2: It's by Sarah Phillips. It's headlined, 20 ways to keep a lid on Christmas spending. Some of these are uh, are more compelling than others. One of them is just if you're struggling with debt, get help. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, but do. I don't mean that's a Christmas specific piece of advice. It's like, oh, so, oh, like, oh, oh, help. Right. I should get help. Should I? Thank you. I mean, <laughs> so the suggestions include consider group presents. Somebody suggested uh, that for their, for their father and stepmother, they, they just bundled together some kids' school photographs, a Percy Pig decoration and a bottle of mead.
0: <laughs> just whatever you can find. So everyone
2: individually has been thought of, apparently. Like, cause Percy, Have they? Apparently. Percy Pig decoration. Everyone wants a Percy Pig decoration. Uh, other, other tips include limit your exposure to unreal expectations. So basically right. start muttering in October about how you're broke and it's going to be miserable. <laughs> Don't want really me to fall the tree this year, lads. <laughs> Avoid pointless purchases. Austin Williams has a two-month-old baby whom she will not be buying new presents for because he'll be barely conscious of them. Yeah, screw babies. I mean, like, to be fair, like, this kid... What's the first Christmas you remember?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely not being so a baby. People who bring babies to a place like Disneyland fill me with such rage. Do you know how expensive it is to get a ticket to Disneyland?
2: That's and so you can't go on either the rides; They're not tall enough. Too short. Like,
1: uh,
2: <laughs> Try to get on board with re-gifting.
0: Ah, yes. Everyone's got a foot spa. We just pass it around.
2: <laughs> I, I actually do have a foot spa. Would you like one? <laughs> I'm all right,
0: thanks. I've got
1: one too.
2: <laughs> We've got the two foot spas. you just getting two foot spas for Christmas.
1: <laughs> one for each foot.
2: <laughs> oh, and the last one is, after all these tips about, you know, not spending any money, like, you know, take a, take a leaf out of Scrooge's book, it ends with, don't forget the true meaning of Christmas.
1: Well, there we go. Yeah, fighting with your family, we
0: know. (laughs) (laughs) And from T2 in the Times, so from the kind of scrooginess to the opposite end of the spectrum, the big spenders now come in in the Times, we've got a guide to what is being claimed to be the world's poshest takeaway. In fact, it's so posh that I can't even pronounce the name of the restaurant. It's spelt... Y-N-Y-S-H-I-R John, what do you reckon? How do we say this?
2: I'm going with Inishir Inishir
0: Because
2: uh, oh, yeah, nice. the island of Anglesey I believe in Welsh is Inishmonds so.
0: Okay, good,
2: good uh, But it's it's, uh, it's a it's a restaurant Somewhere in the hills near Snowdonia Miles from anywhere They only do like 24 people at once 24 covers at once Because it's so far from anywhere People have to stay over Apparently it's a former country house hotel that the, the chef Gareth Ward and his wife Amelia Erickson have painted dark colours and decorated with animal skins, fur coats and a ram's head that <laughs> lends it a Game of Thrones feel. Sounds that's that's really welcoming. That's what you want over dinner, isn't it? It's so like the expectation is going to be a bit red wedding on you. Um, anyway, apparently the food is incredibly good. So in an attempt to kind of give it a bit of publicity, I assume, uh, Uber Eats is doing, uh, as part of a longer project, they've got them a kitchen on the South Bank, so they're doing this takeaway that's for a mere £200. Oof. Apparently, the ingredients alone cost £100. Uh, the things you get include a hot and sour crab soup with a deep-fried bun, black cod with caviar that has an almost toffee miso sauce. Uh, there's a tiramisu. It does sound very nice, and the pictures look very good, but the review is actually about how, like, when it arrived, it was cold. <laughs> <laughs> because it had taken half an hour and apparently the bits that were either not cold or were meant to be cold were all wonderful. (laughs) Right. But there's a line here from the reviewer, I think he is brave to showcase his unique cooking in a place that he hasn't got total control over. The chef Gareth Ward clearly agrees with because at the end of the article he's asked if um, he's he's always been very anti the idea of like setting up a restaurant in London. He's very happy with his kind of like Welsh castle. He's asked at the end of this if like this experiment with Uber eats has made him change his mind, and he goes no, (laughs)
0: without
2: a shadow of a doubt, not at all. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right, right. So that's so you've got to jump in quick if you want a two hundred quid takeaway.
2: Yeah, although like you can quite easily run out that set of bill on Deliveroo anyway, can't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean
0: you know Dishoom will do mm-hmm. that. I mean,
1: Grania, what's the most expensive takeaway you've ever had? This is. I don't believe in fancy food. I think it's a big con. <laughs> it's such a con. It's a swiz. Look, you could spend three hours, ooh, I'll add a little bit of this spice and a little bit of this pepper, whatever nonsense it is. Or, hey, just put cheese on literally anything. (laughs) Just put cheese on anything. Anything is as good as just time spent doing anything else and then just heat something up and put some cheese on it.
0: This has been Grunia's Irish Cookbook. (laughs) And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to John Ellidge. Thank you. And thanks to Gronny Maguire. I've been
1: busy staring in the sun, but never in the mirror. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's it's, that a, can someone explain that to
1: me? It's more Tay-Tay. Just do the work, do
0: If you like Paper Cuts, why not show the love at Christmas with fabulous merchandise from podmarket.co.uk, the online store for Paper Cuts and our companion podcasts. We've got stylish Paper Cuts hoodies, mugs, and a Special t shirt that's different from the one you get in your supporters club. Plus, there are snazzy designs from Oh God, What Now? The Bunker, This Is Not a Drill, and Origin Story, too. Get yourself over to podmarket.co.uk, podmarket.co.uk, and if you do want to join our supporters club, follow the show notes to back.papercutshow.com. I've been Alex von Tunzelman, and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when a Panini sticker book from the 1970 World Cup sold for £2,400 even though it had two stickers missing. And that was before shinies were even invented. Swap you. See you tomorrow. Papercuts was written and presented by Alex Van Tunzelman with Grainne Maguire and John Elledge. The producer was Liam Tate. Assistant producer was Adam Wright. And audio production was by me, Jade Bailey. Music is by Simon Williams. Socials by Jess Harpin. Design by Jim Parrott. With original art by Modern Toss. The executive producer is Martin Boytosh. Managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. And group editor is Andrew Harrison. Papercuts is a Podmasters production.